0: Ephesians chapter number 3, now we're talking about uh, the Lord using the church and the Lord using the church for the purpose of drawing people to Him. I failed to mention this to you this morning, but being in church definitely helps backsliding. I'm less likely to backslide when I'm in the church than I am if I'm out of the church. Ephesians chapter 3, look if you will please, in verse number 10. To the intent now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by who? the church, the manifold wisdom of God. If there anybody needed the manifold wisdom of God, we would. But he doesn't give it to the world. He gives it to you and he gives it to me through the church. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access and confidence by faith of him. Brother Walker, you pray and ask the Lord to help us out. Would you please? Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, remember, there's a list went out. I think an email went out yesterday. You've got a number of folks that are out sick. uh, Miss Julie Miss Barbara, uh, Miss Robin. There's a number of folks that are out sick. If I left you out or forgot you, it's not intentional. Uh, Just remember this. Sometimes those kind of prayers uh, that you pray where you just say, Lord, be with whoever needs you to be with them. Is helpful because you don't always know everything and then sometimes you don't even know people have been sick for a while. Miss Elaine made it in this morning and uh, she's been sick now for a really long time and had the epizoolis and all kind of other things and then she was able to get out a little bit yesterday and then was able to get here today but then she's not this evening and you have to recognize when those things transpire these messages are not for those people. Uh, When you're sick, you need to stay home and get well. And so there's not intended to make you feel guilty about when you take time that you have to take. It's the problem, this message or these messages for individual that they say the ox is in the ditch, but they put the ox in the ditch. That's who the messages are for. Now, in Ephesians chapter number 3 there, and come to Ephesians 2, one of the things he tries to tell you is, is the Lord uses it for the purpose of drawing other people to him. And what better place than to be drawn into church? I used this morning the illustration in Sunday school. A lot of you weren't here for Sunday school because you were in your other classes. But I used the illustration this morning during the time during, believe it or not, Y2K. Anybody much remember that anymore? That was 2000 when Al Gore was on his soapbox and and Clinton and all the rest of them are saying, we don't know what's going to happen. The clock's going to change over. And we didn't realize when we set these new computers up that we didn't teach it how to go from 000 to 001. And so there's going to be some cataclysm that's going to take place and nuclear weapons are going to go off and the doomsday clock is going to stop. I mean, they made a big deal about it, man. It was going to be a horrible, terrible time. And so they were watching the New Year's uh, uh, what do you call it celebrations and stuff and they were watching Australia because Australia is about uh, 12 or what is it 13 12 or 13 hours ahead of us maybe 15 hours A long way ahead of us. In other words, it's already midday over there on Monday. And uh, everybody's watching because their New Year came first and nothing happened. And the fireworks went off and the celebrations went on and the clocks continued to tick and the computers continued to work and nothing transpired. And they watched the thing come all the way around the earth. They even watched it to the point that they watched Eastern Standard Time and then the Pacific Standard Time and the Mountain Time because they thought at any minute it's going to fall apart. It's going to fall apart. And guess what? It never fell apart. But you know what they did in the run up to that? People were going into church and what they were doing, they were laying up uh, soybeans and corn and and rice and potatoes and gunpowder and all kind of things. Weren't even trying to lay up money because money was going to be defunct. It was going to be no good. It's going to be the beginning of the mark of the beast. Everything's going to be terrible. Your money, the banking system's going to shut down. All the computers are going to close down. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's over. It's done. It's finished. And 2000 came and Nothing happened. And they made a couple of adjustments and then all of a sudden you come along in 2001 and you have a couple of scenarios where they bombed the the, uh, Twin Towers and the Pentagon and Tower 7 and all the other things. And oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And people are flocking to the church because they think we're fixing to go to some kind of world war and China or North Korea or Russia is going to push a button and the churches fill up again. And they come in there and what are they looking for? They're looking to avoid catastrophe. They're looking to avoid physical catastrophe. The church isn't here to avoid physical catastrophe they came to church, but they came for the wrong reason. They're looking for relief from physical or financial pressure. The church is here to relieve the pressure on you of going to hell. It's to take the burden of sin off you and to place it on Jesus Christ so that when you die, there's nothing holding you back. You get to get out of here as from the body and present with the Lord. And so the thing you've got to recognize is the church is intended to draw people. That's why there's a sign out there. It's not to advertise who the pastor is. It's Bible believers Baptist church. What are you looking for? Jesus is in here. That's what we want. That's the only thing that we have that we can offer other people. The Lord intends to use the church to shine for him. And I would say this, if you were in other countries, back in the 60s, it would be uh, back when they had the Cold War at first and then Russia started sending a missile down there. It'd be around 63, just before uh, all the stuff with civil rights. It'd be 62, 63. Can't remember Bay of Pigs. When that was, but right along in the Kennedy thing before he got shot in, uh, down in Dallas. But uh, the bottom line is, is this, they're starting to worry about that and worry about there being some kind of nuclear holocaust taking place because Russia was going to put a bomb in Cuba. Do you know what happened right prior to that? Right prior to that, the uh, people went down there, they kicked all the missionaries out of Cuba, they kicked all the uh, Bible believers and Christians out, or they either put them in jail or prison. They took over all the churches and they turned most of the churches into places to store food and seed and fertilizer. And the people that used to have churches down in Cuba no longer had churches. A full-blown Fidel Castro, full-blown communism. Read it, it's history, it's a historical fact. They didn't make any bones about it. If you went down there at that particular time and even if you had American citizenship and you tried to preach the gospel, whether it be on the street or in a church building, they'd put you in jail. You'd be fortunate if you wound up getting back over here. You see what happened? They didn't wind up with a church. You have a lot of freedom here nowadays because of the church. You have a lot of freedom, a lot of ability that under the guise of the church, the allowance of the church, what they do is, is they allow you to be able to do certain things that you couldn't do without having the ability of having the church that's behind you. But the church is never intended to be a political power. It's not intended to be something that moves some kind of personal agenda down the way. Uh, Dr. King came along years and years ago. They realized his political platform was very weak. It was one of, uh, of communism. You study it. Do it on your own. It's not here. It's not a racial thing. I'm not, Just shut up a minute and listen. That had nothing to do with that. But what they realized is, is if they went by his regular name, he wouldn't wind up with the support that he needed. And so they changed his name. You do your own research. And they decided to use the church as a vehicle for political purposes. That doesn't mean that a lot of the things he said weren't true and that a lot of the things that he said and did were not right to do. It meant that the church was never intended to be used for the purpose of a political thing. And it's not intended to be used for a political thing today. Amen. They don't be courting, 2024, preacher, what are we going to do about the election? I don't know what you're going to do about it. I'm not doing anything as far as the church is concerned. You vote for whoever you want to vote for and do whatever you do. But don't you bring your political foolishness here. I'll torch it one of these other guys will pick it up and throw it in the trash can. You say, why? It's not a political, via- for anybody's personal agenda. Amen. This church exists here for God's agenda. Amen. God's agenda is, sir, we would see Jesus. The preaching of the Bible is here to help your relationship, your fellowship with Jesus Christ, and to help you to reach other people. There's nothing more important, including your civil rights, including your agenda, your women's rights, your men's rights, your male chauvinist. It's not for that. Amen. Has nothing to do. Have you not read your Bible? My Bible verse to you would be there's neither Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free, male nor female in the body of Christ. You say, why? You're all Christians. We're all, when it comes to that, you're equal when you come to Calvary. You don't need to have some kind of an agenda and have some reverend something, something, something speak for you and in the name of God do all this like it's some kind of religious movement. Why, listen, I can beat that one. Do you know how many people were killed in the Crusades in the name of God? There wasn't a black person involved in that at all. So don't get all jacked up and say there's something wrong with the way I'm seeing things. There wasn't anybody there. It was all whites killing white people. Yes. By the hundreds of thousands drinking the blood of the saints, you say, why? They wouldn't kiss the Pope's ring. That's Roman Catholicism. That's one of the mysteries. That's Mystery Babylon. The Whore of Babylon is what it's referred to in Revelation. She's still the Whore of Babylon. It's still Roman Catholicism. You've got to get past this idea that it's some kind of a political statement every time a preacher gets ready to preach and he preaches on something that has to do with rights. You've got two rights in the Christian life. Die and pay taxes. And beyond that, you don't have any rights. You're not entitled to anything. Get this spirit or idea of entitlement? You're entitled to pay taxes and to die. And count it an honor if God lets you die for Him. But this idea of I've got to make my life more comfortable, I've got to make my life more comfortable. You're not going to use the Lord like a bellhop. You're not going to come in and grab the Lord and say, you need to feather my nest and take care of me. And if my people that are called by my name humble themselves and repent and turn from their wicked ways, then God will have mercy on them. That's the nation of Israel. That's not you. And by the way, your nation is far from ever doing that as a nation. You can do that as a person. I might be able to preach that to you individually. You can't do that as a nation. This nation's not going to humble itself. Why, you can't even get on the same page when it comes to who comes across the border or not. You can't get on the same page when it comes to whether or not same-sex marriage is biblical. Well, you got preachers running around this town and telling you that having fellowship with individuals that are doing things they shouldn't do, well, it's okay, don't worry about it. Not according to the Bible, it ain't okay. According to the Bible, marriage is a male and a female together. Not Adam and Steve, Adam and Eve. But preacher, you know, you can't be saying that. It's not politically correct. I'm not, this is church. I'm not worried about making a political statement. I'm not running for office. I'm not running for popularity. I'm here to please Him. Yes. The church is supposed to be doctrinally sound. That's the parameters. Not whether or not the law is right. Sovereign citizen, flat earth, all this flashly doodle flap that doesn't amount to anything whatsoever. What foolishness to waste God's time and God's pulpit with stuff that doesn't amount to a row of pins. You say, what is that? That's man's personal agenda using God's Bible and God's pulpit to put across their own personal feelings about things because they're a maverick and they can't take orders. They're stinking wannabes. They've never been in the military, they've never been to police, and they've probably never been anything but a boss of their own business because they can't take orders. Amen. And then they try to use the church to step in and then they're going to teach you all to be rebels. You don't have to do what the policeman tells you to do. You don't have to give them your identification. You don't have to identify yourself. Oh, I used to love to run into people like you. You say, why? I have a right by law to detain you for 24 hours. You say, how long did you detain them? 23 hours and 59 minutes. You say, no, you didn't. You don't know me very well you going to play with my game and you lose my time, I'll put you lock up down there. 20, it would take that long to, to recognize you, to run your fingerprint. Oh, something's wrong with the fingerprint machine. <laughs> we didn't have all the electronics you have nowadays. You got to get the loops and the worlds out and get the little glass out and be able to, you know, well, he won't tell me who he is. So well, who is he? I don't know. He might be well, akin to Charles Manson. He might be an escaped prisoner. I don't know. He doesn't want to tell me who it is. Go stand at the back door of the identification section. I got one for you. Put him in the holding cell. We'll get to him when we can. Very good. You say, what happened? Cure him from sucking eggs. You know what would have been easier? Just give me your ID, I'll run you and you're on your way. But some braying donkey preacher said, you don't have to do that. That braying donkey preacher don't ever have to worry about uh, doing that, and suffering the repercussions of it, just the people that follow him in his foolishness. My foot, you're going to do that and say, God's with you? Listen, God's not going to help you if you're not going to abide by the rules that are written the way God told you to have, have them written. You can't be asking God to help you over here when you're not doing what He's already told you to do. The purpose of the church is to clearly define those things. Not to decide, I'm going to make a whole bunch of people like little robots. Ephesians chapter number 2. Yes, I did have coffee this afternoon. Verse number 19. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with who? The saints. I'm in verse 19 of chapter 2 in Ephesians. And of the household of who? And built upon a foundation, apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And that's where the building is put together. In Romans, in another place over there in 1 Corinthians, one of the things that he tells you is, is that everybody has their part in that household. And I've got news for you. Every brick matters and every mortar joint matters and everything, whether or not it's a blind to cover up the sun or whether it's a roof to protect you from the rain or carpet to make your feet soft to walk on or the aesthetics of a picture on the wall. Every part of that becomes entirely important or very important. It's built on what the Lord did. It's built on the apostles and the prophets, but He gave you something to do. Come to the book of Acts chapter number 16. Acts chapter 16. Now if God took on human flesh, then He wants the church to represent Him. Uh, Which reminded me, when I was running through all this stuff on the church, it reminded me to say, well if I am the church or part of the church, uh, how well do people see Jesus? Do they see Jesus in me? Can I say something? This is a harsh statement and I realize what I'm about to say. I'm not for what's called lifestyle evangelism alone. But I believe if you're not living like you ought to be living, it's very hard for them to hear what you're saying. Yeah. I believe that if you say you're a Christian, but you don't act like you're a Christian and you're involved in all this other shenanigans and hula and all the other foolishness going around, I think if you're doing that, they think you're a joke. That's what I think. I don't think they can see Jesus in that at all. Right. I'm old school when it comes to that. I believe if you're going to say it, you ought to live it. Yeah, I believe you ought- it ought to be something that you are, not something you do. Yes. I don't think you just put it on with your suit on the morning and say, "Okay, today I'm going to church." So I'm going to No, leave that for the church down the road down there, the saint of the epistle of the sea urchin or sea urchin or whatever it might be or, you know, something by the sea swimming in a mermaid or something like that and and saint so and so and saint such and such and saint so and so and saint, you know, saint bless the fuzz on my uh, my my beer and and I I don't believe in all that kind of foolishness. I believe in doing what Jesus Christ says to do, and my testimony, my walk, should match my talk. The you know, old preacher used to say, sometimes your, uh, your walk speaks so loud I can't hear anything you're saying. Well, that's where hypocrites come from. I don't want to be that. I want people to be able to see Jesus. That doesn't mean I have to blast them all the time. Some of you are as bold as a lion, but you get the mistaken idea that everybody ought to be bold as a lion. Well, guess what? The lion ain't the only animal in the jungle. You ever look around in the jungle? I like watching these nature things sometimes. Don't think I'm weird or nothing like that or effeminate or whatever. But I get to watching them come through the Amazon over there and they're on this big long canoe. Looks like it'll sink at any moment. Man's got about that much, you know, freeboard in the thing. And cruising down there and here's hippopotami over here and here's crocodiles over there and all that. And all of a sudden they get in this area and here comes all of a sudden some of the most beautiful birds you've ever seen. Parrots with, like somebody's a, I call them paint by number birds. My mom, when I was little, she used, that's what they used to do. We didn't watch TV late at night and things like that. I'd go in there and my mom would be there propped up in the bed. My dad would be reading usually his Bible or a book or something. He was a real reader. And my mom would be over there and she'd have a little oil painting set. It was paint by numbers. And she'd be painting those little numbers in, filling in those numbers. That's what she did to pass the time. I mean, it's beautiful. By the time she was done, you couldn't see the numbers or the lines. And she learned how to mix colors and how to fade colors and that kind of a deal. I look at them parrots come down through there. And I look at the gulion finches come down through there. I look at these big bald eagles come down through there, man, and pick up these big giant fish. I saw one of them take off one time out of this deal and they're watching it. And I didn't get it turned quick enough. She's watching and she let out a yelp. You'd have thought I slapped her or something, man. She screamed so loud. That thing went down and grabbed a little fawn down there off the ground and picked that sucker up, man, and flew up into the mountain with him. I mean, those talons went in there and grabbed that thing and it's wiggling and jumping and trying to get around. I won't say that was a beautiful sight, but I'm saying, I look at that stuff sometimes and I think to myself, man, that is some more God. Hey, can I just tell you this? Lions ain't the only animal in the jungle. Sometimes a bird can speak of the glory of God better than a lion roaring. Just because you're a roaring lion don't mean you're all that in the bag of the chip. You ain't the king of the jungle. Everybody don't have to do it your way. Just thank God you're doing something. What can you do? I got a friend of mine. He's all jacked up. He's got all kind of problems and stuff going. He's probably watching tonight. He'll text me later on and say, you know, why'd you have to say that? I won't tell you his name. And we go way back. We go back way back in a lot of years ago when some pretty bad stuff happened. And we go back with some stuff on a Christmas Eve and that kind of a deal. And he's been going through a rough time and stuff. And he wrote and one of the ladies, Adrena, somebody sent him a hymn book because he wanted to sing with us because he can't get out. He can't come to church. You know what he said? He said, do you think I could come to church? He said, but the problem is my appearance doesn't look real good because I'm, I've got all these particular problems. He wants to come to church. He wishes he could come to church. He's not physically able to come to church. Saved man. Loves the Lord, believes the book, listens to preaching, ready to go to heaven if he dies. And he's going to die before me and you unless some sudden tragedy happens. And he wants to be here. And what about you? Miss Penny used to be down there at that nursing home all the time, and Miss Penny'd all the time, can you come get me, can you come get me, can you come get me? Every now and then we'd pick her up, and she'd come, she'd sit right back over here, and she'd sit over there, that white hair, just a glowing like a snowball in a coal factory, man. I mean, just sitting over there, just glowing back there. Tell them about hail, preacher, she'd say. For the love of the Lord, preacher, tell them about the goodness of God, you know, that kind of thing. That was Miss Penny. She wanted to be in church. She couldn't be in church, she's in a wheelchair. Got a little girl down there by the name of Joni. Joni, she had to point. She's all twisted up like a pretzel. She had to point to her board there. They made her or she made her a board where she could point to letters and spell out names. Good Lord, man, it'd take you an hour to get a whole full sentence out because she'd point to different things on that board and get that going like that. And they'd have to come pick her up with like a little crane and set her over into that chair so she could come to a 45-minute nursing home church service. She wanted to be in church. She'd have given anything if she could have rolled in. I thought, man, if I was Oral Roberts and had the power he claims to have or Benny Grinn or, or any of them other people, i got a good place for you to go right down here the road. Go down there. Heal them people from old age. Heal them people rolling around in wheelchairs. I look at my friend sitting right back there and i got a young lady sitting across the aisle from him now. I wish this whole place was full of wheelchairs and stuff. But I look at him right there and I think to myself, what's my excuse for not going to church? a little more difficult for him to get up and around. He's out there in the middle of a cotton-picking desert. Come a rainstorm out there. you talk. He ain't got no mutters on that wheelchair. Right. You say, what happens to him? He has to sit there until somebody comes to get him. Yep. Amen. Yep. There ain't nothing he can do. You say, what? He wants to be in church. Yes, sir. What about you? Church means something to him. Yes, and what is it keeping you out? Why? The Apostle Paul gets over there. I'll get to it in just a minute. On the first day of the week, I'll just tell you the story. And he's up there and he gets to preaching and they're gathered together. And the evening time comes along and old Paul's still a preaching man and going to town. And all of a sudden, Eutychus, he gets like some of you have eaten too much for lunch and this afternoon, you know, and he's sitting there in the window, man, and old Eutychus, him eyes get heavy and he's trying to fight it off and he's pulling that, you know, shark eyes, what I call it. He's got his eyes open, but you know, they're rolled up in the top of his head and he's, you know, I, I they, they know I'm. they don't know I'm sleeping. I'm just I'm so tired and then my eyes begin to go and the Sandman comes around and then before long he catches himself in the window there, window sill, and nods off again and the next thing you know he nods in and knocks his noggin on the ground and kills him graveyard dead. I mean man you know what his name was? His name was Eutychus. Don't tell me you wouldn't have cussed too if you'd have fell out of window. <laughs> Say, what is that? That's a Jim Lentz joke, but I like it. (laughs) Say, well, he can tell it and you can't. Well, you laughed, so. Paul goes down there and resurrects him. Boy, what a church service. Paul preaching. Tell me there's not a place in the Bible where they have Sunday night service. Baloney, there's Paul. He's preaching. Eutychus wanted to be in there. He fell out of the window during preaching. Man, what a way to go. What a way to go. If I was going to die, if I had to die early, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to die standing right here, right in front of you. I'd like to kick off and just do a nose, a pl- face plant right there. Just just fall over. What happened to the preacher? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. You say, why would you want to go, man? Doing what I'm supposed to be doing at that particular moment, that's a great way to go. Somebody said, I'd rather go in my sleep. Not me, man. I'd rather go while I'm right mid-stride. I mean, you know, let it rip, tater chip. Jesus is the only way. You know, <laughs> we're praying for the rapture today. <laughs> Happened to you, preacher. And you couldn't see me, but you'd watch and I go right up through the roof, man. And be absent in the body and present with the Lord and go right through the veil. You say, where did you go from? From church. I've always thought it'd be a great trick for the Lord to pull on the church and to have the rapture on a Sunday night. I'm praying for that. You say, why? Because I'm the devil. All the Christians that don't want to come on a Sunday night and you're here, don't tell me you wouldn't like the Lord to come tonight because you happen to be here tonight. Be like, yeah, amen, preacher. That's right. I hope it's on a Sunday night. Unless it's during hunting season or unless the football game's on or unless it's Super Bowl Sunday or you think you'll be done in time for me to see the opening kickoff. Have you heard of TiVo? What is that thing? Can't you start it when you get home? Look at y'all. Y'all look like a blinking frog in a hailstorm. <laughs> y'all y'all gotten way too smart. You're hard to preach to now. Y'all are like I don't know anything about those electronics. I have no idea. I wish I knew the final score before the thing started and all that and say I'd say spoiler alert. <laughs> you say you wouldn't do it? Oh, I might do it just to mess with you a little bit. Are you in the book of Acts? Acts chapter number sixteen? Look, if you will, please, in verse number 31. We get out of here quick tonight. I'll get you home in a little while. Verse number 30. (laughs) And they brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And what? Do you know what the house is there of the household of faith? Look in Hebrews chapter 11. I'll show you. It's just being part of the body. Ladies and gentlemen, you're responsible for your brothers and sisters, whether you like them or not. You're responsible for your brothers and sisters, whether you like them or not. You say, why? They're your family. And family members mess up. And you say, what do you do? You help them get up. And if they're willing to do right, you do your best to try to restore them. And thank God and be careful if he's reading and you read Galatians, right? He said, be careful unless you uh, get so full of pride yourself that you get overtaken your own self. Right. When you see somebody fall, don't be, don't be rejoicing over that, even if it's your enemy. That's harm to the body of Christ. Right. Some preacher messes up. Don't you tell me that it doesn't make it hard on you because they put all the preachers in the same box. Right. Same thing happens for Christians. Don't rejoice over that. Even if it was your enemy, and even if they were wrong, and even if they got caught red-handed, don't rejoice over that. Don't rejoice. You say, why? It makes him look bad. Don't worry about you and your reputation and whether or not you get... No, no. It makes him look bad. You shouldn't rejoice over that. Controversy among believers and stuff like that, over things that don't amount to a royal pen, like flat earth and all that other kind of a deal, you shouldn't be rejoicing in controversy. What a stupid thing to be arguing over. You say, what should you be worried about? I find the people that are doing that, they're rarely ever doing personal work. They rarely ever pass out. We sat out at the restaurant the other... Yesterday, was it yesterday we went... Yeah, after we went out to a restaurant and we sat there and a fella I don't know why he came over and he started talking to us and asking us some questions and stuff. And man, I'm going to tell you what, he's running down. I got heart trouble and I got the panic attacks and I got anxiety and I got this and I got this and I got this. I felt like I was a priest in a confessional booth or something, man. I mean, the guy's just telling me everything in the world that's wrong. And then eventually she's sliding under there at the table, and then she says, well, here, maybe you could read this when you get a chance, and then I got a chance to get in a little bit of a, of a thing. You say, why? Uh, that person's got problems. You don't need to hear about a flat earth. Mike, and back. Or here's a good one for you. Let's teach him the doctrine of the deep. Man, he didn't know which way was up. You know what he was thinking? He said, well, if I keep taking this medicine, the doctor told me I got maybe three to five years at most, but then the side effects of the medicine will wind up killing me. But then they told me if I go ahead and have this surgery, that sometimes it's as much as 90% successful. I'm not worried about the 90%. What about the 10%? He wasn't being funny. He was like, I mean, literally, I mean, just, just laying it out. And I'm thinking... Man, good night. What in the the world, man? What lit him up? Of all the people in that place, he walks over there. Why is that? That's God doing that. It's not us saying, hey, hey, we got the answer. He just came over and, how are you on a special occasion? You dressed up? You look nice? What's What's going on? Starts a conversation. Next thing you know, that thing runs for 20, 25 minutes. You can see what happens. He leaves with a witness and a testimony and a track in his hand. Right, look, that's not boasting, but you know what I find? I find people that are always caught up in controversy, they are rarely ever ministering to people one-on-one. They'll minister from a pulpit, and they'll shoot their mouth off somewhere else, but one-on-one like that, not much, not very often. Oh, they want to tell you all about, you know, the blood-sucking angels in Jupiter. They'll tell you about the replenish. Well, all that stuff's true, but you're talking about lost people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll have a Bible study and turn off the thing, man, but that, that's all you got? Right. A person could care less about it. He can't even understand it. You say, what's he wanting? I need some supernatural intervention here. I need something to help me. Uh, you got something that can help me out? Yeah, sure, man. Here's a doctor. Go see him. You say, what'd you do? Told him to see the great physician, Dr. Jesus. Yes. Maybe he can help you out. You say, well, did you win him to the Lord? No. But I don't know what happened after that was over. Amen. I guarantee you. You know what he said? I will definitely read that. Amen. Put it right there. Amen. I hope when he gets home, he gets home and goes. Amen. Well, maybe that. Yes, sir. And the Lord said, hey, boy. Yep. You might want to read that. I'll know when we get there. Maybe that fellow will walk up to her and say, hey, remember me? Remember me? Oh preacher, you... I'll tell you this. I think it did me more good than it did him. You say, why? I got a good meal. I enjoyed the meal, but I got that right there. It's like dessert. Are you in uh, Hebrews chapter number 11? Is it making sense to you? Verse number 7. The, the, the church should bolster your faith. It should strengthen you. It should encourage you. He says, reprove and rebuke. Do you know the third thing besides the preachers in here? Do you know the third thing? What is it? Exhort. Exhort. You know what an exhortation is? It's like Brother Sear come running down here, which, by the way, did a great job on those um, uh, chandeliers, man. Those things are beautiful over there. I appreciate you doing that. And doing whatever he did to the air conditioner. Well, I appreciate that very much. Brother Roger did a great job in the closets over there. And the Brother Ernie and Brother Jake are doing the doors. And whoever else I forgot. Thank you for everything you're doing. What's well, an exhortation? Somebody get flipped out this morning. That big old bull reached up and grabbed me and held on to me. And i here thinking, what is that? That's an exhortation. That's, I'm with you, preacher. I'm with you, preacher. I'm with you, preacher. A lady sent in a deal. She, she called on the phone. She said, Preacher, I have to ask you a question. I said, Yes, ma'am. What can I do for you? She said, uh, 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 Has that ever happened to you before? I said, As, What happened to me? She goes, Some guy came down there and wrapped you up. I thought he was trying to kill you or something. I said, No, he's just spreading the love, sis. We're, we're good. She said, I've never seen nothing like that. I said, It's an exhortation. I come down off the field one time and I was playing ball and I uh, got my stinking clock cleaned, man. I mean, I was seeing bells and whistles, and man, I mean, that guy, if you old people, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, he rang my stinking bell, man. And I was seeing stars, and little birds were flying around in my helmet and stuff like that, man, and I'm walking over there. I guess I must have looked like I was intoxicated or something, you know. And I finally got over there to the bench, and I I sat on over to the bench, and the guy comes over with an ammonia capsule, and he, he puts it under my nose, and I kind of come around, and then I... I feel somebody come up behind me and slap me on the shoulder as my daddy. You know what he said? Good job, buddy. I just looked around at him, kind of cross-eyed. There was about four of him at the time, you know. You say, what did it do? I put my helmet and went got back in game. He said, well, preacher, that's just... No, 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 no. My Lord have mercy, folks. If you could realize how many people in here are doing all they can, they're hanging on by a thread... Just a little bit of encouragement from you. They expect it from me. But you, just just there, just saying, hey, I appreciate you being here. Thanks for coming. What a blessing. I'm glad you're here. Sure, you can sit on the pew. I appreciate it. Just a little encouragement, that exhortation. You know what to do? It'll keep them in a little bit longer. The longer they stay in, the more they get in, the more they get a hold, the more they wind up getting situated and getting fitly firmed and formed together. And the next thing you know, they feel like they're part of you. Amen. Just a little encouragement. Amen. Doesn't take much. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Appreciate you coming. Amen. Good to be skinned alive with everybody else. <laughs> Ella says, well, preacher, that kind of stuff, you know, it'll run people off or it'll make people closer together. Amen. <laughs> Greatest friendships are formed in war. Amen, amen. We fight together, but we love together. Yeah, yeah. And we fight hard, but we love hard, don't we? Amen. Don't we? Yeah. I mean, we've had a disagreement or 2 had haven't we? Sure. We're still here, ain't we? The devil ain't got us yet. Right. Amen. Don't let him divide us. Amen. Hang in there. Where did I tell you? Oh, Hebrews. <laughs> Mine has Shebrews in that. It has an S in front of the he there. The S? Never mind. Look, if you will, in verse number 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen yet, moved with fear, preparing an ark to the saving of his what? Uh The house has to do with an individual that come together. It's not just a body in the sense of it being a bricks and mortar and that kind of a deal. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 5. It's you growing together. Finding out what God wants you to do and getting busy doing it. Ephesians chapter number 5. Now I showed you this morning if you were here in Sunday school. If not, you can get the tape. I showed you that the Lord did it. I showed you that the apostles did it. I showed you as a place of of learning. I showed you as a place of fellowship with Jesus and fellowship with others. I showed you as a place of worship. I told you it set an example. Here's what I'm fixing to give you now. Look in Ephesians chapter number 5. It sets an example for other people And in the the other passage I'm going to give you in a minute, it's the place for spiritual growth. Now, the Bible says you're supposed to grow. He says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may what? Anything that doesn't grow is, uh, is considered to be retarded. And when I say that word, I mean in the sense of retarded meaning not growing, not as far as your intellect is concerned. Let me make sure you understand that. You can grow intellectually and not grow spiritually. You can grow in knowledge and not grow in charity. You can learn a whole lot of facts about the Lord and not know how to apply those facts. You can be like Peter, shooting your mouth off and cutting off ears before you even think with all the information that you're given. One of the things that the church is, is to help you to grow spiritually. Part of that growth spiritually is not just from the book and the preaching of the book. It's rubbing up against each other. It's learning to deal with other people. It's learning to put up with other people. Nothing will test you any more than the grace required to put up with church people. Church people are some of the meanest devils you ever met in your life. You say, why? They're made up of people like you. There's times where you're not on your best behavior, right? I mean, all the time. I wish I could say all the time, but come on, be honest. All the time, well, you know what happens? The Lord will have that person cross you just to find out, are you going to be as gracious with them as I am with you? I mean, people don't always hit it out of the ballpark like you do. I deal with human beings. Right. I don't walk with deity. Mm-hmm. That's good. I know some of you are the fourth part of the Trinity. I understand that. But for me and us mortals, I deal with people in everyday stuff. You know one of the things, the lessons out of a bajillion that I learned from my dad and from that old preacher? They said, never get too divorced from common, ordinary people. Yeah, yeah. I learned from that. My dad would be down there turning wrenches with the guy that's down there working uh, underneath the, in the garage, down there changing oil, and back in those days, greasing tie rod ends and, and putting in drive shafts. And back in those days, you had the, uh, had four sides to it and little pins that sat on the end. It won't, it's goes on the end of the drive shaft there. I can't remember the name of the stinking thing. What? U-joint. Universal joint, that's it. It had, it had the little pins inside it, and you had to put the grease in there, and then put them on there, and then put it back in, and then it had the little bolts you put that stuff in there, and you're down there. Man, there's nothing dirtier than being underneath a car, and back in those days, before they had a pit that you could get into, you had to get on one of them little slide racks, and you'd slide under there, and that thing would be about right here on you, and you're working right here like this. And you're down there. My daddy would go down there wearing a suit and tie. He'd take off his tie, take off his coat, put on a monkey suit, and he'd slide under there. And he'd hand the guy the wrenches or hold the light. Back in those days, they had what they called a drop light. It's a long light on the end of the thing. has a little bulb, a little cover on this side, and it had a hook on it. And sometimes you couldn't find nothing to hook it on. You say, what'd they do? (laughs) I was the hook bearer. I couldn't turn the wrenches. I wasn't strong enough to do the stuff. My dad would say, get up under there, boy, and help uh, Bobby get that that wrench, uh, hand that to him over there, hold that light for him. And Bobby would get over there and he'd get that thing. Bobby Fryer was a race car driver, and he'd say, Hold it right there. And I'd hold it right there. My little old sketty arms, man, I'd start to drop it. He'd say, Get that thing back up there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. Bobby. Yes, sir, Mr. Bobby. And boy, I'd get tired like that, and I'd try to find a prop underneath that thing, you know. And he'd say, Here, hook it here. We're right here, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, under there, sitting there with all that dirt and all that mud and all that clay coming down off of you. What is that? Common ordinary people? You don't know you need them until your car's busted, and that's the place you want to take them, because you know they'll fix it without getting you uh, costing you four arms, two legs, three chickens and your cow in the backyard. You know they won't take you to the cleaners. just common ordinary people. Down to the fishing dock, Captain Anderson, people down there have a fleet of boats and stuff. Come down there, come time to clean fish, he's down there, skinning fish play and fish. You say, well why would he do something like that? Common people, ordinary people, people that did stuff, worked for a living, trash collectors, landscapers, carpenters. Uh, one of the guys is up there. As a matter of fact, he's still alive. I called him not long ago. His name Daryl Sylvie. Big old former Marine. Big as the side of the house. He used to wear a, a shirt, a Marine shirt with a big bulldog on the front of it. United States Marine Corps. I always wanted one of those things. As a matter of fact, when I got out of high school, if I hadn't turned into the police, I was going to go join the Marine Corps. Coming right to the end of Vietnam there. 73, 74, right along in there. And uh, Daryl Sylvie's in there. He goes and he's an iron worker and he builds all these machines and stuff for all these kids in that run-down neighborhood to come to to work out. I can't tell you how many times I saw Daryl Sylvie sitting down there in sweatpants and that shirt with them big old bull arms on him like that looked like a couple of ham hocks hanging up there. And he had that little New Testament and he'd take that New Testament and he had it highlighted and he'd take them little boys and take them down the Romans Road while they're in there pumping iron. A big old marine like that. I called him up. I said, Mr. Sylvie, this is David Peacock. And he said, Ben Peacock's boy. I said, yes, sir. He said, man, me and your daddy sure did have some times together. He said, me and your daddy used to train together. I said, yes, sir, Mr. Sylvie. I said, I wanted you to just call. I just wanted to call you. He's on up in age now. He's in his late 80s. Still running that business. Still in iron work. Still in machine working. And I said, Mr. Sylvie, do you remember me? He said, yeah, I remember you. I remember you being down there in the gym. And I remember it told some stories about my daddy. He said, well, God bless you, boy. He said, I just want you to know I'm still in church. Amen. He said, I wouldn't have ever been here if it hadn't been for your daddy. Amen. Amen. What is that? Common people? Yep. Just a Marine? You say, what is that? That's the church, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. Boy, you talk about folks having a conniption fit. They had a place down there full of nothing but old Sunday school literature and all kind of other stuff down there collecting dust. And uh, Brother Sylvie came up to my dad one day and he says, preacher, he says, what I'd like to do is I build a gym down there. And he said, well, we we'll won't have a lot of money to be able to do that. He said, no, I'll build everything. He welded all that stuff together, leg machines and bench press machines. And it wasn't nothing fancy, but I mean, it was you, you, you have plenty of iron to throw around down there if you really wanted to work out. And he built a whole set of stuff down there. And my daddy said, now, what you going to do? He said, I'm going to open up the window on the street. And let the kids come in. And he said, "I'll make sure me or one of the boys is here anytime it's open. They can't get to the rest part of the building." You'd be surprised. You go down there any given day. You know what you find? A bunch of street urchins down there, pumping arm and uh, pumping iron, and Daryl Sylvie down there. They weren't. They're, they're just. He's just down there, just giving the, gospel, giving the gospel. Giving the gospel. Giving the gospel. Common people. I know now why Daddy wanted Herbie. You say why? Knock kneed, pigeon toes, stunk to high heaven mentally retarded. Well, he probably couldn't pour water out of a boot with instructions on the bottom of it. But boy, he loved the Lord. He'd show up every time the doors were open. My daddy'd fight a buzzsaw for that man. Billy Graham's uh, guy came in there, Cliff Barrows and George Beverly Shea came in there. And they're getting up there. I'm sorry if you heard the stories before. I'm having a nostalgic moment right now. And they're uh, coming in there. And I remember going down there in my, my daddy's office and he had introduced me there to Mr. Barrows and to Mr. Beverly Shea. I didn't know Beverly Shea from Adam's house cat, man. I didn't know who he was. Could've been Homer Simpson, for all I know. I didn't, I didn't know any of them. There were Mickey Mouse or Mighty Mouse. And I didn't know he was the great baritone tenor. I'd heard him sing, but I didn't know, I didn't know who that was. I didn't know my dad had the juice, the horsepower to be able to get people to come to that little church up there, about twelve or 1,500 people. Man, they packed that place in there like sardines, and I'm standing in there, you know. Yes, sir. How are you doing? And yes, sir. It's a pleasure to meet you, you know. And they're snapping pictures and all that kind of a deal. And I'm thinking, okay, man, good. I got to get out of here, man. This is this is nuts, you know. And about that time, one of the deacons came in there and he says, preacher, he said we're full, man. They're stacked in there like cordwood. They're all along the wall. The balcony's completely full, to overflowing. Things liable to come in. He said the choir loft is full. We don't have anywhere to have any people. He said, but right over, you know, where Herbie sits. And my dad said, yeah. And he said, well, you know, preacher, he said, right there in that area where Herbie sits, he said, "Uh, people aren't sitting around him, but we could probably get another 10 or 12 people there if we could just uh, maybe get Herbie to move. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget it. My daddy stood up from behind his desk and he said, if you touch Herbie, you're going to have to deal with me. He said, if they don't want to sit next to him, let him go around. You say, what's that? Just a mentally retarded knock-kneed, pigeon-toed, knock-kneed, thumbs turned in, couldn't hardly speak, couldn't sing a note, couldn't read a lick. But in church, every time the doors are open, sitting right there, every time right there, Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning church, Sunday night, Wednesday night, special meeting, that's Herbie's pew, right there. Take that offering, make it pop in that plate. If it didn't pop, he'd take it right back out of there, man, (laughs) Till it popped, and then when it popped, he'd turn around and look at everybody like, What are y'all doing? I know one time there was $11 in that offering, and I know that because I was there when they brought the money from the paper mill where he came in from the paper company and he came in there and he had that money. How much my tie bills, Puicha? And he counted out. He said, Well, Herbie, he says, You made $100. And he said, $100. He says, Is that a lot? yeah Herbie that's quite a bit of money and back then it was a lot of money how much are my tithe, preacher he said well Herbie that'd be $10 but you fixed income your mom is an invalid and stuff like that and on social security and don't know who your daddy is and your sister doing all she can to keep it no preacher I want to give my tithe how much are you offering and he said well Herbie you don't have to do that and and all that preacher how much are you offering and he said well you want to give a dollar I want to give a dollar he said, "Okay." He had the secretary sign it. it had eleven dollars in it—ten dollars for his tithe and a dollar for an offering. Man, you'd have thought he was putting Fort Knox in that offering plate when it came around. He could not wait for them to pass that offering out. Man, in them days, you had an offering plate. I mean, it'd run. The building was more long, like, like this one is here, but it was that way wide. I mean, it was a big old building, man. And the old deacons all stretched out across there, all of them with plates. We didn't use chicken buckets or nothing, had regular plates and all. And they got ready. Man, Herbie was frothing at the mouth. He could not wait. That thing was sitting in the same pocket it came in when it came in on Thursday. And he grabbed that thing, and those hands turned down, and he had it right here, and he's waiting. He's got the winning hand, man. He, he's blowing like a bull at a red flag. He's waiting, man. And I think, honest to the Lord, that I look back on it, I think Herbie is wanting to say to the guy praying because he prayed one of them old oh God prayers, you know, and that kind of a deal. It's like, good night, man. You must not be putting nothing in the offering plate because you're praying so long you feel guilty, man. Just shut up and say, good bread, good meat, amen. Here's the offering, let's eat, you know. I mean, man, he just went on. I think Herbie was like, Lord, would you shut him up? I'm ready to get in, and that plate came by, and I'll never forget it. He threw it in there, but it hit kind of at an angle, and it didn't pop. And the plate went to go by him, and he grabbed the plate and brought it back and stuck his claws back in there. And the guy went to grab him, my dad waved him off, you know, like that. And he grabbed it again, and the next time, man, he threw it in there, pow, like that, and turned around. God loveth a cheerful giver. Tommy used to sit on the same row. He always wanted to be a Greyhound bus driver. Somebody gave him a Greyhound uh, hat and gave him a gray Greyhound uniform. They must not have given him but one, but that thing was on him all the time. I mean, that thing would stand up by itself. I don't know if he ever washed it or not. He'd stand up in the back of the trucks and stuff down on Dodds Avenue and just holler at people. And you'd say, hey, uh, Tommy, uh, show me how to shift into second when you're shifting that big old uh, Greyhound bus. And he'd he'd make a big deal and everybody'd laugh at him and stuff like that you say well where was Tommy his second row every time the doors were open didn't have any sense at all invalid had to be taken care of all the time came to church like a little child like Philip has more sense than him common people church people not pretty people Common ordinary people have to be let down from the roof because they got problems, got to have people help them. They can't get there on their own. What should the church be? It ought to be like a hospital, it ought to be a sanctuary. It ought to be a place that when you're going through trouble, you don't have to worry about getting eaten alive by the brethren. You can come in and well i 'm here and i 'm going through it. Can you pray for me? Not talk about me? Yes. it'll be that place where you come in and you just <sighs> I think some of the best sleep i 've ever had in my entire life is in church. I used to cut up with the big one back there because he 'd come in off the midnight shift, and he was crazy and crazier than those days, and he'd come on in on the midnight shift, and not get a nap or nothing and come in and couldn't hardly stay awake and his head would bob and weave and that kind of stuff and then the next thing you know I'd wait till I got right up by him when he's about to go to sleep and then I'd raise my <laughs> voice and, and scare him half to death and that kind of thing but you know what I know? I know sometimes I come into church man and the peace of God just takes over and it just makes me want to go to sleep that's why I don't get on to you for sleeping I figure you probably hadn't had any peace in a long time Sanctuary is peace. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for peace in the church. Isn't that what you want in your life? Sometimes it's good just to be in church for that reason. Can I give you just a couple more? I'm going to kick that thing over and somebody's going to take it out of my paycheck. Ephesians chapter 5. I already gave you that one. No. Be ye therefore followers of God, right? Yeah, I already gave you that one. All right. Uh, so we're following him. Uh, 1 Timothy 4. Let's go there. And then I'll give you one in Colossians and we'll go to Barn. 1 Timothy 4. Preacher, why do you tell that stuff? Oh, I don't know, folks. I, I guess every now and then I look back historically and I think to myself, how many years I've been in church and how many years I took it for granted. I remember that old woman sitting back in that corner, back over yonder where Heather's at, only back about maybe another half of a, a row from way back in that corner. And I remember my daddy getting up, and he just preaching. No singing was going on or nothing. And all of a sudden, she gets up, and she starts waving both of them. And Southern Baptist Church, man, you didn't do that in those days. Old Southern Baptist Church, and that poor old woman's up there. That old dress looks like a croaker sack hanging off of her, man. And she's coming down there, and she's got them hands going, and the skins draping off of her. Man, it's a good thing she didn't put it out the window; it'd have beat her to death. It's terrible. And I, oh, I can see it. I'm about ten. So, what do you think I'm thinking? I know that's wrong to say that now, but I mean, man, crepe paper don't have nothing over on that gal, man. And she's coming down through that thing and walking over here. I can see her coming down there, boy. And she's singing, I am satisfied. I am satisfied. I am satisfied with Jesus. And a couple of deacons got up and they were just going to get her and be gentle about escorting her. Man, my dad hit the pulpit so hard he busted the glass in the pulpit. (laughs) You know what a 10-year-old boy thought about that. I was like, yeah, get him, daddy. (laughs) That glass went flying everywhere and he said, let her alone. It'd be good if some of y'all got what she's got. And down that aisle she came. I can still see her, boy. She's in glory now. She was up there and greeted my daddy when he got there. She probably said, hey, preacher, you remember me? Miss Lovelady, how are you doing? My goodness gracious. Things sure have changed. Right down across the front. He just went and had them big old king chairs in that chair, that church there, the big old tall ones. He just went over there and sat down. He just waited for her to get done. She preached the whole sermon. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. Later on in life, I said, Daddy, what about Miss Lovelady? He said she'd done buried all her kids, buried her husband. She's an invalid, shut in, lived by herself. Somebody had to come get her. They just wanted her to come get her. They didn't it, it didn't bother her that somebody had to go out of their way. She wanted to be in church. You go by and get her, get her in there, bring her up that big old set of stairs of that, that big for you, big old palatial building, that thing's huge, man. And come in that place and come in and sit down there in that back corner over there and sit there. I guess she sat there for years. I don't remember it. My daddy said she's buried all of her kids and buried her husband. She's all by herself. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. I look at that now and I think, boy, to be up there at 80, 90 years of age and still be able to do that after all that loss. That's somebody that is, not somebody that's just trying to be. That's somebody that is. I look at that stuff and I think, boy, how often have I just taken the church for granted? Jim and I were over in Romania, and we're doing our best to try to get a work going over there and trying to get things started and all that. And for them to be able to get over and have any kind of a meeting place is just almost unheard of. And uh, this is back right after the Iron Curtain and all that stuff came down. We'd come through the border over there in uh, 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 whatchamacallit, not Amsterdam, but uh, all right before you come into Romania. I'll think of it in a minute. Um, What's the... The place right there before you get in there. No, it's the other end, not Moldova. I'll think of it in a second. Anyway, you come through that area there and you step off into Romania. And man, it's like going back a hundred years. It's like a black and white photo. And you walk back up into that thing and you start realizing, man, these places have got dirt floors in them. And they got concrete block walls. You know what I'm talking about, sis. You there, you're in the Ukraine. And those people in there are still working their fields with wooden utensils, wooden rakes with plugs in them, about big as my fingers. Wooden rakes, wooden shovels, pulling logs with uh, horses and donkeys and oxen out of there, pulling them out of the mountains and pulling them down onto the street and working that way on these old wooden carts and stuff like that. And you get in there, boy, and you start having a meeting, and then you go at 3 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, and walk into a building over there, and well, this is the church where we want to start it, and they turn the light on, and sitting all around about a 15 by 15 room are all men sitting around that, men and boys, sitting around, some of them with one page of the Bible. Preacher, we wish we had a church building We wish we had a place where we could meet. Preacher, will you teach us the Bible? Taking a half a pencil and passing it among themselves because they don't have enough pencils to go around. And a piece of paper. You say what? That's two big old boys, a full-blown, full-fledged Vietnam vet and a former policeman that come out of that place with your cheeks so wet, man, you could have wrung the water out of our shirts. Sure wish we had a church, preacher. Sure appreciate it, preacher. Thank you, preacher. Go over there and teach in the school. And have 70 and 75 year old women come there with it spitting snow outside and it looked just gray all day long just raining and spitting snow and sleet and walk with rags tied around her shoes and come and sit down there and give her the favorite spot over there by that tile stove and she sat right there for 10 days. Just want to learn the Bible preacher in their language. Sure wish we had a church preacher. You think we could get a missionary over here to start a church, preacher? Wish we had a place to go, preacher. What's it like to have a church, preacher? Preacher, will you thank your church for letting you come over here? We don't have no church, preacher. Man, you come back, I'm telling you, it's that way in South Africa. When we come back from over there, I'm thinking, man, I need to go back over there. I can't stand it. They want to be there. You wake up in the morning and all of a sudden they're there all in there waiting. We'll have breakfast with you and you teach us a little bit of Bible and, and they stay there and then that group leaves and they come for lunch and then you go to the meeting and they follow you home in the evening and you sit there till 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning and another crew there the next day. Sure wish we had a church preacher. All we got is a squatter's camp. And we got one. But boy, how often do we take it for granted. Well, everybody has one. No, everybody doesn't. That's why I wish I could load you up on a 747. I'd take you over here with sis and take you to the Ukraine. Man, who wants to go there? (laughs) They need a church right now. Colossians 1 and let's go to the barn. The church is important for spiritual nourishment. I'm going to say something at the risk of sounding arrogant. But I'm going to say it. These boys, no matter who it is, when they fill this pulpit, they take time to study and to prepare And don't you ever take that for granted. And whoever it happens to be that steps in to fill the pulpit, they're doing their best to give you what they can give you, spiritual nourishment. And they give you what God gives them. And they have the willingness to step up here in front of you and run the risk of you laughing at them or making fun of them. Nothing more hurtful than for you not to show up when one of these guys is filling in while you all allow me the privilege of going somewhere else. You say, why? Running a popularity contest? Stop being such a a, a donkey. You'd feel the same way. Were you getting ready to graduate from primaries, you probably sent out invitations so that everybody could see you graduate from elementary school or something. You graduated from the first grade to the second grade after about 10 years in the first grade and you thought it was a great accomplishment. So you sent out invitations and they threw a party for you with a cap and a gown and all that other and you'd be upset if they didn't show up. Well, you're not here to which one's the most popular. You'd be surprised one of them boys all of a sudden might give you a nugget you never had before. You just got to be here to get it. They need your support as much as the pastor does. Because they're able to be here, it enables me to be somewhere else. That's what the church is supposed to do. Whether you believe that or not, that's what you're supposed to do. Colossians chapter 1, it's a place of spiritual growth. Verse number 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful into every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, part of what you do is, is you come to the church for that purpose. You come to the church to learn that. Now, if God deals with you, ladies and gentlemen, about doing something, whether it be on a foreign field or not. Uh, Don't be so foolish as to turn him down. If God were to tag you about going to school or God were to tag you about going to a mission field or God were to tag you about being called to preach or being better at whatever it is you're doing, a better husband, a better wife, a better teacher, a, a better Christian or whatever, consider that an honor that God would take his time to say, hey, I'm talking to you. Don't be afraid of it. God call anybody in here if He wanted to and send you to a mission field if you'd be willing to go. Well, they need churches. You know how God sets up a church in the Bible? He starts with a man. And He builds it around that is there a man that'd be willing to go if god called him well sure preacher i'll go be a pastor in georgia in tennessee alabama mississippi don't want to get too far north of mason dixon line get kind of cold up there i wouldn't want to go to michigan or california or out west nowhere but i mean if the lord would like me to go to tahiti with 75 and trade winds i I could probably handle that okay, maybe down in the Bahamas, although the murder rates screw the roof down there right now. But I'd be, no, 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 you missed it. Lord, here am I. Send me. Preacher, I'm too old. Said who? Who told you that? What do they need? They need churches. You're not winning the battle. You need more churches. Amen. The issue is, would you be willing to go? Can you imagine a great honor that the Lord would step in and say, who is on the Lord's side? Good, let's go to the mission field. Papua New Guinea. What? South Africa. Huh. Well, maybe around Johannesburg. Amen. See, part of the church is is to send out other people to start other churches. You see your missionary back there? He's out of a local church and he's over there working with a man in a local church and he's setting up things over there through a local church because that's how God ordained it to be done. Would you go?